Um, oh, okay. So I, I tell her that he has COVID-19, and then she says, make him drink the broth. So what you're hearing right now is this guy I talked to named Mark. He lives in New York, and he's reading off a few text messages he got from a relative of his uh, when Mark and his boyfriend both got breakthrough infections of COVID-19 this summer. Uh, yada, yada. Does he take a probiotic? Hmm. Um, and I say, I said, no, like, we're, no, we don't take probiotic or anything. And then she says, he should do a heavy metal detox as well. It will help. There are heavy metals in those shots. She goes, um, does he take magnesium? Did he do the Epsom salt bath? He needs to be on a probiotic. So do you, unless you guys eat the proper amount of fermented food. Okay, wait, so sorry. Probiotics, heavy metals, Epsom, like what is going on here? This sounds kind of out there. (laughs) So Mark already knew before he had this conversation with this relative, that this particular relative was really into holistic health and kind of Mm. natural wellness sorts of things. Um, But still, I think the degree to which she objected to the vaccines themselves and this particular way of treating or preventing COVID, I think that really surprised him. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Emma Chalkoff in for Martine Powers, and it's Friday, October 1st. Today, we talked to reporter Ashley fetters Molloy about how some of the most insidious misinformation about COVID and the vaccines is being spread by wellness influencers. Mark's relative is one of a lot of people in America and elsewhere who, during the pandemic, have picked up on a lot of anti-vaccine rhetoric through their wellness and sort of natural living circles, kind of this holistic health community. Um, There's a real misinformation problem, I think you could say, that floats around in these circles. The wellness world has has kind of been entangled with vaccine hesitancy for a long time before the Mm -hmm. COVID pandemic. Um, You know, you think back to the 90s, 2000s, there was some panic about whether vaccines were linked to autism specifically before that study that linked them was discredited, Um, which, you know, that crashes right into the Facebook years, right? Facebook starts to come around in the early 2000s. So anti-vaccine rhetoric grows on various Facebook groups, kind of unchecked. Mm. Facebook itself did begin limiting those groups' reach and their ability to buy promotional ads in 2019. But what makes it trickier to police, I think, is, you know, well, there's a couple of things at play here. Number one, a lot of this anti-vaccine rhetoric on Facebook and elsewhere is phrased as sort of innuendo. <laughs> like folks spreading this kind of thing are smart enough to phrase these objections or these kind of warnings to other people as questions like, hmm, doesn't it seem like this vaccine was developed awfully fast? And then, of course, they can say, well, I'm just asking questions. And so it's a little bit tougher for, you know, Facebook or sort of these governing authorities to crack down on people who are are, in fact, just asking questions, even though those those questions do raise some harmful rhetoric. And of course, this content also it spreads really quickly. That's the second thing from, Mm. you know, from one group to the next really quickly. So even if Facebook has an eye on one group and can remove content when it comes up, by then it's already been shared elsewhere too. Um, So it's, I think, kind of a classic example of that idea that a lie can make it halfway around the world before the truth gets its shoes on. It's just, you know, the first thing moves so fast that the correction can't really keep up with it. Hmm. And like, how has this changed or evolved over the course of the pandemic? Sure. So I started to really see a lot more anti-vaccine rhetoric around last fall when 
you know, there, there did start to be talk about a vaccine that would be administered in a sort of mass vaccination kind of way, right? And there are a lot of these influencers who I would say kind of went on the same trajectory of at this, you know, March of last year, March of 2020, were very worried about, you know, there's a new virus. We all have to protect ourselves. Stay home. Keep your distance. You know, let's be safe. Last summer started to kind of question this idea of mass compliance, right, with mask mandates hmm. and just kind of started to ask questions about whether this was really just an exercise in government control, that sort of thing, or um, started to ask questions about what is this doing to our mental health and to our mind-body connection to never have any connection with other people now that we're at hmm. home all the time. And then by the fall, it, yeah, like I said, it really, it really reached this fever pitch of people digging their heels in about, I'm not taking this vaccine. This came about too quickly. Protect your families, protect your kids. And how much do we know about like who the people are who are spreading this information and what their motives are? I, I kind of think of misinformation online as being something malicious. And, you know, especially a lot of our conversations about misinformation have been about like Russian bots and elections. But this seems like something else. So like how much do we know about who the people are behind this? Right. It, it, it does. You know, misinformation does kind of conjure up a totally different picture in our minds now, right after <laughs> after the last, you know, five, 10 years in this country. But, you know, earlier in 2021, I think this this idea that it could be these folks spreading this kind of misinformation went went mainstream probably in the spring. I think a lot of people learned about this when the Center for Countering Digital Hate released a report that there are 12 influencers who are responsible for the spread of almost two thirds of COVID-19 vaccine misinformation that circulates on Whoa. social media. They've like since been dubbed the uh, the disinformation dozen and kind of been huh. been name checked by you know people as high up as Jen Psaki at the White House has talked about the disinformation dozen. And a few of the influencers on that list, such as, you know, notably Aaron Elizabeth, her partner, Dr. Joseph Merkola, are folks who are kind of influential in the health and wellness um, spaces, but are hmm. spreading skepticism and doubt about the vaccine. That's fascinating. Um, can you describe, I'm honestly not super active on social media, what do some of these posts like look like? Like what is their content? And also like why are they convincing to people? Sure. So yeah, let me talk first about a couple of underlying themes here. I can talk to you about the, there's there's a certain aesthetic too that kind of comes with this. I think a lot of these are, you know, if you can picture going on Instagram and opening up someone's page and finding, you know, lots of photos of waterfalls and nature and yoga, and then, you know, a, a post that's all text on a blank background or some sort of peaceful looking background that just says mm -hmm. something about, you know, the vaccine is experimental. <laughs> this development process went too fast for it to have been careful enough. Um, wow. So that's certainly like one of the underlying themes here that the vaccine is something that we need to be careful of because it it, it didn't go through rigorous enough testing. So, mm -hmm. you know, it, it gets connected to protecting your family, protecting your kids. You know, don't let your children be a government science experiment. It's sort of the underlying um, theme in a lot of these posts. You know, there is someone I spoke to. Her name is um, Ginger Sweeney. She's a yoga instructor in upstate New York. And um, yeah, I think I think she fits this category pretty perfectly. She is someone who has six kids and the fourth of her six kids had a reaction, like an adverse reaction to one of his routine vaccinations when he was about a year old. Mm. You know, she said that he was a pretty happy kid, never cried about anything. And then for, you know, hours after he got this vaccine, he was screaming. And, you know, after that, you know, Ginger told me that she started researching, started, um, started worrying a lot about what were vaccines really doing to her children and said she did a lot of research on the, the history of vaccines. And I started researching like ingredients and the history of vaccination. Um, 
the history, you know, starting with smallpox and the science behind it and the scientists who thought it was a horrible idea and just the whole history of it. And I was like, wow, I am not interested in this at all. This is totally against the way I think life works. Long story short, she skipped the rest of that child's vaccines and then had two more kids who never got any of their routine vaccinations. Yeah, I got a religious exemption for my kids. After that point, nobody was vaccinated. Um, And it wasn't a big issue. I just had a letter on file at the nurse's office at the school. And yeah. So she is someone who for a long time has been skeptical of vaccines as a whole genre of medical treatment. But when the COVID-19 vaccine came around, she was especially wary, especially not interested in getting it. I was just like, nope, this sounds very fishy. Mm. And, <laughs> and, and the fact right now that the vaccines, they're not vaccines. They're not even FDA approved. They're, you know, like a regular vaccination. They're still in experimental mode. Um, so they're experimental shots. And so everybody who gets that is in an experiment. Of course, when I asked her, would the FDA approval, when it comes, when it did come through, did that make any any difference to her? Of course, she said, no, absolutely not. <laughs> she said, you know, me and my friends, none of us, it, it wouldn't matter to any of us. We still wouldn't get the vaccine. Oh, absolutely not. No, I would just, yeah, I would be, I would feel sad for people in the military because if it gets approved as an actual vaccine, they can mandate that. We should just note here that there is a lot of research and testing that's been done on these vaccines. The FDA has deemed them safe and effective. They're approved for virtually everyone who's over 12 years old. And it's just so silly to think that that one shot is going to keep you healthy. I mean, if If our government really cared about our health... There's a second kind of underlying theme here that there's a pervasive idea that your body and your immune system can be healthy enough to ward off COVID-19, which, of course, we know it's a novel coronavirus. No one's body can... No one's body is healthy enough to recognize and just totally ward this off without a vaccine. But um, there is sort of this pervasive idea that um, if your body is healthy enough, you will be protected from COVID. So you should do these heavy metals detoxes and, you know, drink raw juice. Um, That kind of thing circulates a lot. And then with some of these more powerful influencers who are attached to, say, a, you know, a set of classes or workshops or some sort of business model, you also get, you know, subscribe to this newsletter of mine or this monthly subscription box um, to get your body to that point of sufficient health to ward off COVID-19. After the break, we'll talk about what social media companies are doing about this kind of misinformation. We'll be right back. So you mentioned some of the challenges of cracking down on this kind of misinformation, but like, I'm curious, have the sites like Facebook, TikTok, Instagram done anything, said anything about you know, kind of shutting down this misinformation? Yes, absolutely. So my colleague, Garrett DeVink, did a lot of the reporting on this for our story. And um, what he found was that Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter have all enacted stricter um, regulations and rules against uh, misinformation mm. about the coronavirus um, over the course of the pandemic, over the over the last 18 months. Mm-hmm. You know, someone who spoke to him from Facebook said that Facebook will take down an entire group if its administrators consistently let content that breaks those rules go up onto Facebook. Um, mm. And, you know, Twitter told Garrett, 
it that the company is committed to elevating, quote, credible, reliable health information. And of course, these both of these companies emphasize just how much content they have taken down over the last year or so um, just for violating its policies about the coronavirus um, and misinformation. Um, these pieces of content that spread misinformation about the coronavirus and the vaccine are really hard to police for a few reasons. Um, number mm. one, the information moves so fast from group to group and onto individual pages that by the time you know it gets gets caught by these moderators or by these detectors, it's so widespread that it's hard to get every instance of it. Um, and second, some of the influencers spreading this kind of misinformation are sort of niche influencers or micro-influencers or even nano-influencers, which means hmm. they have really loyal followings, but followings that are small enough to fly under the radar. So it's like they can be out here just asking questions, just, you know, putting putting these new skepticisms into their followers' heads without really being detected by the moderation teams at Facebook or Instagram or YouTube. Hmm. So then, Ashley, like, how do we fix this? Is it just on us as Internet users to kind of be more savvy? Is it on the platforms to develop new techniques or like where, where does this end? <laughs> that is a great question. Um, certainly, I think I think it helps for people who are using social media to know what is misinformation. But at the same time, there's certainly more that companies could be doing and, and that, that government could be doing. As we know, the White House has recently partnered with a lot of influencers to uh, help kind of fight fire with fire and, uh, and, and help spread accurate information about the safety and the efficacy of vaccines um, onto the Internet and kind of try to infiltrate these circles that would otherwise only be absorbing misinformation. Right. Mm. Um, you know, Facebook is trying to connect its users with vaccination sites. Um, YouTube is working with hospitals to create new videos that will kind of like rise to the top of um, search mm. results that, that answer questions and answer people's skepticisms about uh, the vaccine. And about other healthcare questions, um, Twitter has partnered with Reuters and the Associated Press to get credible information onto Twitter when when news events are breaking and when there's a lot of eyeballs on the site. These are all measures that you know people can have a lot of faith in. At the same time, <laughs> like a lot of these these platforms also still use algorithms that promote the most engaging content, and so it's mm. like you know you you do run into this barrier of if someone is very popular and putting out misinformation that gets a lot of engagement, it's still might rise to the top and, and break through more so than some of this other stuff that we're talking about, some of this accurate information that's been so carefully placed. So, Ashley, we've talked about kind of trying to be more savvy, but like short of unplugging our computers, like throwing our phones into the sea, how can we protect ourselves from misinformation? Like, especially if you do follow some influencers who post beautiful images or wellness tips that you like, like how can you keep from getting sucked into all this misinformation? It's a really hard thing to do right now. And I want to, I want to, you know, acknowledge that, right? I think what's so powerful about a lot of these micro and nano influencers who are putting this sort of misinformation out there is that when you come across a micro or nano influencer on your Instagram feed, when it's happened to me before, right? I have looked at this person and been like, wow, this person's really charismatic. Is this like a friend of a friend? Should I know this person? Did we go to college together? Like, it feels like I already vaguely know them, mm. right? And, you know, in a celebrity endorsement versus a friend endorsement, like which which person are you going to trust about a water bottle or a brush, right? Like, <laughs> which person is going to feel like they were talking to you. It's more that micro-influencer, that person who like might feel like they could be your friend rather than someone who feels like a, a celebrity or a public figure who who kind of gets through to you. Hmm. Um, so what I would suggest, you know, is when you come across this kind of thing, like what I have done in the past is I have, you know, 
opened up that person's whole page on Instagram to look through all of their posts and say, you know, what's this person really all about, you know, on a, on a macro level and not on an individual post that I thought was funny or cute or helpful kind of level. Um, mm-hmm. When I've opened it up and looked at their whole post history, that kind of helps me get a better picture. And, you know, sometimes what I look out for is, you know, posts about, you know, medical freedom and, you know, Obviously, my body, my choice can can signify a lot of different things. But in the vaccine conversation, it has come to signify, you know, I'm not getting the vaccine and I don't think you should either. Or, you know, Hmm. or uh, it should be everyone's personal choice whether they get the vaccine or not. And those kinds of things are kind of signifiers in my mind of like, okay, this is someone who I should, you know, keep a gimlet eye on, right? This is somebody who I should be careful consuming the posts of because, you know, there, there could be some misinformation that floats in here. And then I guess on the flip side... You know, we can talk about how consumers can be more savvy and how platforms can do a better job. But like, how do you think we can get through to the people who are posting this misinformation? We cite this study throughout our story. It's a George Washington University study about curbing misinformation online. And what these researchers found was that, you know, once somebody has started started believing in these anti-vaccine messages, it can be really hard to turn them around. Like it is one of the biggest challenges that these researchers, you know, came across is making inroads into these communities that have been sort of taken in by this or kind of under the spell of anti-vaccine misinformation. And, you know, this does bear itself out in the interviews we did with people kind of one-on-one who were dealing with this. Um, Mark, from the beginning of this episode that I spoke to, told me that, you know, he doesn't really know how to talk to his relative about this. Um, you know, he he just at this point has resigned himself to trying to not fight with her. They clearly have such a deeply rooted position that you can't really argue with it, you know? Mm. Yeah. So I, I, the way I've navigated is to like not like, you know, try to have an altercation or anything. I can't mm-hmm. be like, you're wrong because that's like not going to be well received. What he said was, it's like trying to talk about the 2016 or the 2020 election with somebody who voted differently from you. You just, you're both going to dig your heels in and you're just not going to agree. That's Ashley fetters She's a features reporter for The Post. This story was produced by Renee Stranowski. Today's episode was mixed by our incredible new engineer, Sean Carter. Sean, welcome to the team. Our executive producer is Maggie Penman. Our senior supervising producer is Rena Flores. Our editors are Alexis Diao and Ted Muldoon, who also composed our theme music. Our producers are Lena Muhammad and Jordan Marie Smith. Ariel Plotnik and Renny Svernovsky are associate producers, and Savvy Robinson is an assistant producer. The post-director of audio is Bernita Jablonski. We're also following the infrastructure developments, and for the latest on that news, check out WashingtonPost.com. I'm Emma Talkoff. Martine Powers will be back Monday with more stories from The Washington Post.